And so nonviolent communication gave me the practical tools for a person who has been educated and trained by the society the way I have to actually help me understand what does warmth and curiosity or loving awareness look like in the day-to-day, in my day-to-day language relating with myself and other human beings. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome to this episode of Rebuilding Trust Through Nonviolent Communication. And I have a conversation with Zuku Ingersoll. And this is a very interesting episode because also this is a follow-up to the last episode that I did with her husband, Eric Ingersoll. And that episode was Fantasy Versed Reality. And even though this is a standalone uh, episode. So if you didn't listen to last episode, that's fine. But I would recommend that you do because it will be juicier. But I wanted to have Zuku in the studio to talk about some of the things that Eric talked about in their experience as a couple and hear Zuku's perspective of rebuilding trust and using various techniques like nonviolent communication. Oh, and stay tuned to the very end of the podcast because I'm going to give you some tools on how to use a simple nonviolent communication exercise that I believe will greatly benefit in your communication. So let me tell you a little bit more about Zuku. Zuku is a relationship facilitator and relationship healing guide. She is a perennial student of the spiritual paradigms and practice skills that lead to deeply satisfying relationships. She and her beloved Eric work as a team supporting individuals, couples, and groups who long for relational healing and the deepening of authentic connection. You can learn more about their work at ericandzuku.com, and I'm going to have links in the show notes for their website. So Zuku is wonderful to talk to. I really enjoyed her presence, her thoughtfulness of her communication, and most of all, her heart. She has such a warm heart and it comes out in discussions around warmth and how to resonate with that deep feeling of warmth so that we can connect with one another. Okay, and before we get on to this episode, I wanna tell you I really appreciate those of you that have donated recently to my podcast. I'd like to thank Mary in Ohio and Zachary in Georgia and also Marie in California. Thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. And those of you that are inclined to support the podcast financially, 
you can go to my website, prepo.com, click on the podcast page and another link for support the podcast. You can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. And you can also check out my website, prepo.com, to learn more about my therapy practice and my coaching practice. And you can also sign up for my newsletters there. You can catch me also on Instagram at prepotoplitsky and also some of my tweets on Twitter at prepotoplitsky. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would love if you would leave us a written review. Okay, everybody, hope you're enjoying your summer. Fun connections being outside, connecting with your loved ones, spending some good time with yourself. I've had some real good time by myself. My wife is in Denmark. She's been there for seven weeks. So I've been a lone boy, and I've been doing some good self-nurturing. So I hope you're doing the same. Okay, everybody, here we go. My conversation with Zuku on rebuilding trust through nonviolent communication. Yeah, let's talk about it. Hey, Zuku, thank you so much for uh, wanting to journey on this, you know, the piggyback off of uh, Eric, your husband's podcast that just aired before this is going to air. And some people might have listened to that. Um, that was around fantasy versus reality. And uh, he shared some vulnerable experiences in your relationship. And so I really appreciate that you're willing to uh, talk from your perspective from that. Yeah. Thank you, Prepo. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So some people might have listened to Pat past podcasts with Eric and some may not. I'd love if you would tell from your experience of some of the uh, challenges that you, that you had that came up to what we're going to talk about, about building trust. Yeah. So one morning, I think we were still laying in bed. It was a few months after we got married. And Eric told me that he had been masturbating to an Instagram photo, um, a particularly sexy Instagram photo of one of my very dearest friends. And um, as I started to ask more questions, basically what I learned was the reason he was sharing this with me was because he had accidentally liked the Instagram photo and then quickly unliked it. And he was concerned that this information was going to come to me through this friend and wanted to get in front of it. So that was kind of the first, the start of the conversation. It's a, a way to wake up a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I had a lot more questions. And as I was asking more questions and learning more, what I learned was that um, Eric had a long-standing sexual and romantic fantasy about this friend for about a year and a half, and um, that he was just deciding to share it with me now, you know, kind of in this attempt to get in front of this technology snafu. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. What was going through your mind at that moment? Like, was it 
reality shattering for you of your relationship of, you know, that, wow, this has been going on for a while. You don't know, or I'm just curious of, you know, what was happening inside of you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I recognize I'm, I'm going to, everything I'm going to share today is from the perspective that I have now, which I probably would have used different words to express myself back then in the moment. Um, and him, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I think two things were really going on for me um, on the inside. And I can talk a little bit about what was going on on the outside too. But on the inside, one is that I was hearing it as criticism. I was hearing it as you're not good enough. I'm unsure if I want to be with you. Um, and when I was interpreting it that way, I was just having so many things get kicked up for me around belonging. You know, I had so many, was really a lot of my needs for belonging. I was seeking to get met in my primary partnership with Eric. And so it was really shaking the foundation of belonging for me. And you were how many years into your relationship? I think we were about six, about six years in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this stuff around insecurity, around belonging. Um, I think the other thing that was really coming up for me was, you know, I so longed for a depth of intimacy and connection with Eric and finding out that there was this whole part of his inner world that he was not sharing with me was a pretty rude awakening around, um, yeah, just the fact that we didn't have that depth of intimacy. Like, obviously, for whatever reason, he believed, he, did, he chose not to share, you know, huge parts of his inner world with me. And, um, yeah. That was that was tough information for me to take in. And did other information come up? Because uh, what Eric shared also was he said he lived a, a long life in fantasy about being a, a rock star and other ways of just kind of escaping. And, and did that start bubbling some things in your relationship of, of how he stated not being present in your relationship the way that he wanted to be? Did that start like a, a snowballing effect? It was more like the kind of crescendo. So before that, there had, I don't know what he shared exactly, but there had been, this wasn't the first time that something like this came up, um, you know, where he, for example, previously, I think right after we got engaged, told me that he had a longstanding romantic and sexual fantasy about another friend. And we had worked through that. And I was under the impression after that, that there was enough trust and intimacy built in into our relationship that he would, yeah, I believed that he would choose to share earlier if, if an attraction like that was starting to brew. I thought he would have shared it earlier given what we had already been through together. There were some other instances, you know, things where like maybe we'd together, we'd meet someone and then I'd find out later that he'd been cultivating 
a romantic, like a, not a romantic, but just a Facebook friendship or something with them. So, so there were a series of things like this, and this experience was really the crescendo. Um, but then there were also, yeah, other aspects that really had no, nothing to do with sex or attraction. Um, like you said, he was, you know, had this dream of um, being able to support himself as a musician and um yeah we would we would talk about that quite a bit as well so i did have this deep longing for i mean for me intimacy and connection is based off of us being able to share openly from our hearts what's alive inside of us and be able to hear that and connect about that and yeah i think it was a lot of those needs for intimacy and presence weren't what, being met what what do you recall that he expressed to you why it was difficult for him to to be transparent? Yeah, I think it had to do with um, a really deep desire for connection and acceptance and belonging and a fear that if he was himself, that um, basically that he would be rejected. Right. That's my recollection. Yeah, just around if it if his authentic self in some way came out in in that way of shame that if he expressed his shame that he would be rejected for who he was. I think, I think respect that. attraction to, you know, if he yeah, if he communicated attraction, if he communicated shame. Um yeah, I can't speak too much for his experience because I you know, I know it's nuanced, and right. um, but that was my recollection. Was it was the drive for acceptance and belonging that was leading him to the decision of not sharing what was happening inside of him. And what came up from that with because it was a friends group for you, like you were close to mm-hmm. to this friend and other people that were in the circle. How did that develop in your end of? of trust being taken away or the challenge of of confrontation. Yeah, so there were about five of us that were very close. And um, so the first thing I did was I wanted to understand if it was a one-way attraction or a two-way attraction. Like if something energetic was being shared between them, I, I would want to know that, and that might change the course of what happens next. Um, so I... I spoke with this friend of mine and I learned that it wasn't not a shared attraction. Um, and in fact, she was having a pretty strong reaction to learning this information. And I think then at some point, I mean, it's going back kind of a ways now, but I think at some point we decided to all get together and have a conversation, the five of us. And I was, I was just so dysregulated, you know, I'm talking about it in a pretty calm way now, but in my experience, both within myself and also in holding space for others, when the need for belonging is up or when we're hearing criticism, you know, often our nervous system just like completely goes offline. And I was definitely in that state. And I think I was hopeful that when the five of us got together, that there would be some sort of grounding or wisdom, you know, kind of collective nervous system that would shift things. And that that wasn't my experience. Um, I don't think collectively as a group, we didn't have the skills or just the the capacity. 
and there was no one person holding the space that had some expertise in that area to, to help regulate the group. Yeah, that's yeah. really, I mean, looking back, one of my great regrets is that I didn't make a request of the group to see if they'd be willing to move into something like that where we brought in an outside facilitator. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really rocky. It was just really rocky. And while I still, you know, love those friends very much and hold them very dear in my heart, we don't share our lives in the way we once did. It was really of that group of five, it was really just Eric and I that decided to take this material and use it as an opportunity to go deeper. Um, but we didn't do that in community as much as there was a part of me that probably really longed for that. Well, do you remember a turning point? Because m- m- most people either, um, you know, shit or get off the pot, the aspect of taking it deeper or mm-hmm. just saying, fuck it, you know, this is not worth it. Do you remember any of the thought process that you had around, all right, I want to I wanna try to to understand this or transform or grow from this as opposed to this is not safe. I need to get the hell out. Yeah. I mean, I've, to be honest, I've had so many points throughout our relationship where my nervous system is super activated and there's this part of me that just wants to get the hell out. And at some point, it was before we got married. I don't remember when exactly we, we basically made a commitment to ourselves Um, I would say it was a commitment to each other, but I really think it was a commitment that we each made to ourselves, which was the phrase that we use is, until love does us part. Mm. And what that means to me is that I am committing to myself, the gift I'm giving to myself is that I will not choose to end my relationship with Eric out of fear or out of anger that I will only make that choice if it's coming out of love. Wow, that's beautiful. And that's been a really helpful guidepost in the moments when I feel super dysregulated. So that was alive for me. It's something I can remember as being really important to me, even in those moments that I'm so upset or... Yeah, just kind of freaked out or, you know, alarmed aloneness is the term that comes to mind from one of my mentors. The other thing is that I continually check in with myself. And even when, like in that circumstance, but also in other circumstances where it was super challenging, I would just drop into a really quiet place with myself and ask myself, am I a yes? to continuing. Like, even if all these needs are not being met, am I a yes? And the answer for me has always been yes. And sometimes I feel a little confused, (laughs) you know? But the, yeah, when I check in at a really deep level with myself. Is that a somatic level that you check in? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the body kind of knows if it's a yes or a no. Is it usually a expansion or contraction around maybe the solar plex or something to that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's not an intellectual thing. Mm-hmm. I have to drop into a different space. Wow. Yeah, and I was just a yes. And and I think even long before this rupture, 
you know, we just sort of knew that our relationship was about growth. I mean, there was just being so much that was coming to the surface and being metabolized even long before this rupture. This rupture was really the tipping point where it was clear that our old paradigms that we were still living in were no longer serving us and there was no more denying it. But it had been building up for quite some time. Would you, did you use any words inside yourself or even verbalize? Did you use the word betray at all as opposed to a rupture? Because I'm a lot of couples that I'm working with that usually the depth of a betrayal is a opportunity as it's a rupture and it's an opportunity to really see of the shift of the paradigm of where their relationship, the old relationship is no longer there. Are they going to create a new relationship? Did you use that word? Did you feel that word? It's a good question. I don't remember using that word, but I've heard Eric share that many mm. times. So that's what's coming up for me right now as you say that, mm. is remembering Eric talk about how terrified he is at times of betraying me. And so it's this sort of like choosing certain pathways out of fear rather than out of love, um, which to me is just so tragic. Mm. <laughs> it's, I mean, because ultimately it's deeply unsatisfying to to be relating from that place of fear of loss versus joy and delight of connection. So yeah, mostly what's coming up for me is that memory of him using that word. I don't know. I can't remember if I ever used it, but it doesn't mm. feel alive in my system. Did you grow up with that choice of going towards more love, going towards more choosing joy and delight as opposed to some of the darker aspects of withdrawal and our small self. Because um, you, you tell in the story and just our conversations that you and I have been having, this seems like, I don't know, you have a certain chip inside of you. <laughs> I don't know whether it was cultivated, um, whether it was nurtured, um, probably a lot of, of both, a lot of your own work. But I'm just curious of, I would think, you know, people would ask, like, how do you go towards love when there's darkness right there? Oh, what a big question. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of that answer is unknowable to me. You know, it's, I feel a little teary just in receiving it. And, You know, I had so many blessings and so many tragedies growing up. I think one of the great blessings that I feel incredibly grateful to my parents for is that they lived pretty far outside the mainstream paradigm. They were pretty devout followers of a guru, and they were really questioning everything, you know, down to what we ate. <laughs> um so there's this willingness, I think, inside of me that I feel so grateful for to think outside of the paradigms that I've been fed because I was shown another option. Um, yeah, and on the flip side, there was just, you know, my parents were also in pretty intense states of fight flight 
a lot of the time and which my suspicion is that's part of the draw to the spiritual path was some relief from the intense fight flight hmm. and so i don't know it's not one thing you know but there is a really powerful longing inside of me and when i talk to other people and they're really vulnerable with me i learn that it's also inside of them hmm. this really deep deep longing to move from a place of joy and delight and wonder and to build our lives based on that and did you do you feel that or felt that constantly more um that eric was willing to to meet you there i guess my question is did did you have to always kind of pull him along in that way mm-hmm. to come on see see the growth see the light or were you doing that in conjunction because i'm wondering about how how that builds trust in that work when you know somebody is is knowing that there's aspects of themselves that uh that the potential is there that the desire to want to actualize is there and it comes from them within Mm -hmm. not just somebody telling them that that's there yeah i mean he could probably answer that more clearly than i can but my experience is that um i feel like there's a couple things that are bubbling up inside me at the same time so i'm just trying to pause and tend to one at a time yeah, I've heard both, you know, from him. I've heard both, both very clearly that this is the path that he's on, the path of growth, the path of transformation, that it lights him up incredibly. And then sometimes he's tired and overwhelmed. And so I hear both from him. Um, and I think the other thing that I want to say is that our relationship has radically transformed me. You know, I think we've been incredible mirrors for each other. Like what I learned, if I fast forward from the point of this rupture to now, it's very, very obvious what I have learned in my relationship with Eric, but also really my relationship with everyone. It's just with Eric, sometimes the messages are louder. I can hear them more clearly somehow. And that has been that the pathway to everything I long for trust, intimacy, aliveness, the pathway there is warmth and curiosity. Or what in spiritual traditions they might sometimes refer to as really embodying loving awareness. That's been the big lesson. The tricky thing is, okay, well, what are the causes and conditions that support that? Because if my nervous system is completely overwhelmed and flooded, I am completely incapable of really coming from a place of warmth and curiosity toward myself, toward him, or toward anyone else. Um, Yeah, so I think really if I look at what has happened between the rupture and between now, it has been finding what are the causes and conditions for me, it might be different for others, that support me really being able to deepen into 
that consciousness of warmth and curiosity or loving awareness. And what are some of the tools that you used along that along that way? Yeah. So number one was getting support. You know, and I didn't know where I was headed. I know now I, that I've had that experience and it's more deeply rooted in me. I wouldn't say I've arrived because I'm very much in process. But now that I spend more time there um, and it's more rooted in me, I can see that's where everything I was exploring was pointing me. Everything that my body said yes to that I was exploring in terms of tools was all pointing in the same direction. But the first one was getting some support and specifically getting support from people that had that consciousness deeply rooted within themselves. People who could really see me through those eyes of love and warmth and curiosity because of the deep practices that they had been engaging in for many years. So that was the first component, was getting support. And it's not the kind of support you can just like find online. No. (laughs) (laughs) So... I had to stumble around mm. a lot until I found um, found people that I could really get that need deeply met with. Yeah, and you have to, tr- and you know, you have to trust that that you have a a good picker around that. You know mm. that you can see it genuinely that this person is cultivating that love and warmth within themselves. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing is my body will tell me that. I mean, my body will say yes and start to open in their energetic field, or my body will start to close and I'll start having all kinds of anxious or insecure thoughts. And so, yeah, my body is a pretty fabulous Mm -hmm. instrument in that way. (laughs) The second tool, and I'm going kind of in order of how I started engaging with them, Um, they weren't consecutive because they were kind of eventually all at the same time. But the second tool for me was um, really helping my mind, like changing my brain, helping my mind along to embody this loving awareness, to embody warmth and curiosity. Because for some people, I'd grown up, you know, in communities that were drawn to the Eastern traditions. And I imagine for some people that um, maybe that's their pathway, right? Like Ram Das has the mantra, I am loving awareness. And I was on the spiritual path for many years, and I imagine it supported me tremendously. But it, you know, I was going on silent meditation retreats and, um, Really, things it, yeah, it wasn't the path that brought me to really deeply embodying and rooting this new way of being with myself and others. It was for me, it was learning nonviolent communication, and it was also being exposed to the work of Sarah Payton, who she she has a background in nonviolent communication, but also in neurobiology, and so. Nonviolent communication gave me the practical tools for a person who has been educated and trained by the society the way I have to actually help me understand what does warmth and curiosity or loving awareness look like in the day-to-day, in my day-to-day language relating with myself and other human beings. 
And what I received from Sarah Payton's work, she wrote this book called Your Resonant Self, is I understood from a neurobiological perspective why that actually changes my brain. Why talking to myself and others in this new way, in this radically different way, literally changes my body and my brain. So I kind of, I needed, for me, it might be different for others, but for me, I needed to bring my my mind and my language and all of these, you know, parts of being human Mm -hmm. (laughs) along with me on the journey. So that was the second thing. So support, really getting support, changing my mind and understanding that from a mind and language perspective. And then the third big support um, was engaging in some medicine work. So, and I can tell a little bit about how I got introduced to that. I had a really strong negative reaction when it first came up, but it's turned out to be a really tremendous support for me. So we talk about plant medicine work or? You know, I actually started with MDMA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which do you want to dive? Well, one one part of like the nonviolent communication, I think, is an important uh, aspect for people to realize. How did you implement it in in day to day, and how how did that benefit your process with rebuilding trust or another level of deepening your of your relationship with your husband? Yeah. Oh boy. I mean, there are so many tiny unconscious ways that we are speaking criticism and judgment and blame. And one thing nonviolent communication did for me was just help me see that, you know? And I think I would combine that with, you know, I was doing, I want to be really, I realized I've touched on medicine work without putting it under the caveat of I was doing it in a therapeutic way you know, um, very occasionally with a lot of integration support. Um, It wasn't recreational use. And the reason that was really important in my journey personally was because it allowed me to experience what does it feel like to embody that warmth and curiosity from the inside out. Hmm. So it's not just a mental thing I'm learning from NVC, but I'm actually getting an embodied experience, bottom-up kind of experience of what that feels like on a cellular level. So the two really came together for me. I was learning all of these unconscious ways that I was speaking from a place of blame and criticism and analysis without even realizing it. And I was starting to experience more warmth and curiosity even within myself, about noticing that. Because before it felt pretty dangerous to even admit Mm. that that was what was coming out of me. I would imagine that when we embody it, when you embodied it, you caught it faster. I know I do, right? When when I'm embodying my words, (laughs) I I can feel the effect of blame or the judgment. Um, I track it faster in my body. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a it's a a wonderful prelude to understanding. Yeah, I have this really like hearing you say that. I'm remembering this very distinct memory of you know maybe it was like three months after 
my first or second um, therapeutic MDMA journey. And I remember being in this conversation with Eric and, you know, we're just kind of knocking heads a bit. We're not really meeting each other. And at some point, just having the self-awareness within to be able to say, wow, I'm realizing that I'm judging you and it is so painful. And if it's painful for me, I guess I'm wondering, is it painful for you too? And he just, he like, you know, sat back in his chair and his whole body language, like all these muscles just relaxed. And he said, wow, thank you so much for noticing that. And was that different for you of noticing? Some people have the experience of judging is is a false sense of empower, right? They get that adrenaline rush and they feel powerful, but they're powered over somebody as a, as opposed to an empowered feeling. So how, how was it the realization that it became painful to judge? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting, there is a sense, I mean, even now it's like I can sometimes tap into what you're saying, that adrenaline but I don't know, for me, it's like if I really bring warmth and curiosity to that within myself, it doesn't feel that great. It's it's kind of counter. It's like a, a magnet repulse or something like that. It's very different. It doesn't To judge and feel good is not the same as warmth <laughs> and loving. Yeah. Yeah. It has a really different quality. And I think, I think here's where all of these different supports were helpful is that it helped me know the difference. Because I probably, before I started engaging with these three different kind of pathways to knowing warmth and curiosity from an embodied perspective, I probably didn't know how good it feels. And so I did the thing that was available to me, the thing that everyone else was doing, the thing, you know, that was like probably the closest thing I could grab for. But once I really got a taste of what how amazing warmth and curiosity is, both in within myself but also in connection with others, the other thing just feels like such a cheap substitute. You know, and we were talking um, before about <clears throat> the rebuilding trust of it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's rebuilding between another person. Um, what I'm getting from what you're saying is how important the trust building within ourselves, that we trust our compass, our navigation tool, that you trust warmth is warmth and judgment is painful, (laughs) that you trust that within yourself. So I'm imagining some of the process that you've gone through and that you continually go through in your communication, in your ways to transform conflict uh, is more about also your own trust building, your build, rebuilding trust within yourself moment to moment, not just with another person. Yeah. I mean, now I I know how to get my needs for trust and intimacy met. And it's by embodying warmth and curiosity in my conversations with Eric that that brings us, I mean, What might come up in him looking a certain way when it's met in that bath of warmth and curiosity transmutes into deeper levels of understanding and healing and growth for both of us. 
And so that's why I say our relationship has been such a powerful mirror because if I'm not meeting him with that warmth and curiosity, all the things I long for are just out the window. They're not accessible to me. And so I was like, wow, life keeps giving me this feedback. And I think what I want to clarify, though, is it's not a should. It's not like, oh, I should be warm and curious. It's just an honest checking in with myself. Like, am I in that space where I can genuinely meet him with warmth and curiosity? And if I'm not, what are the causes and conditions that can support me in meeting myself with warmth and curiosity? Maybe that's getting support from somebody else. You know, maybe that's community. I've built a lot of community around nonviolent communication at this point. Um, so I I now have, I've invested so much time and energy into really building up the causes and conditions that I can be honest with myself if I'm not embodying that warmth and curiosity. And I know I'm not going to have connection with Eric and trust and intimacy if I'm in that space. And so, but I also know where to turn to get support so that slowly and authentically that warmth and curiosity starts to come back into my experience. That's beautiful. I'm curious, I won't put you on the spot for a second. What what would be a communication way to ask somebody to to get your needs met? Like what what would be a, an example? if you have a certain need, how would you approach somebody in that warm way and curious mm. way? Yeah, I think when making a request, the first thing that's really important to me is am I willing to hear no? Because if I'm not willing to hear no, it's not actually a request, it's a demand. Hmm. I'm not respecting their autonomy and I'm just so clear within myself, I wanna connect from that place where we're both a full yes. That's the, that's the place that's juicy for me. Hmm. So the first thing inside of myself is just checking in to see, am I willing to hear no? And once I'm clear that it really is a request and that if they say no, I have a plan for other ways, other people maybe that I could turn to to get my request met, um, then I think it's just Asking clearly and directly in the sentence stem that I use is, would you be willing to dot, dot, dot? You know, like, so today, Eric's about to go on this trip to Chicago. I'm looking at our calendar and I'm realizing we have very little unscheduled time before he leaves. And we've been working through some things this last week. And I thought, oh, boy. I really would love to have more time together before he leaves to see if we can create the space for more warmth and curiosity around what's happening. And so I just checked in like, hey, I, I'm curious, you know, this is, I'm really longing for a little space to explore what's alive in us. And I'm looking at our calendars and I have this idea. I'm curious if you'd be willing to put a few hours aside this evening and tomorrow evening, which looks like our only unscheduled time. And is that something you also want, you know, really checking in with that warm curiosity? And he was a yes. <laughs> that, and it's such a subtle difference because most people use can as opposed to will. Mm. Can you get together before we leave as opposed to do you have a willingness? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge difference in a request. Oh, yeah. And I notice the difference inside of me when 
I receive a request that has that language of would you be willing, I it really meets my need to know, like to check in with myself and to know that I'm being invited into finding my authentic yes or my authentic no. And for me, that builds a lot of trust. When I'm in relationship with people who want to hear my genuine yeses and my genuine noes, oh boy, does that support connection for me. Hmm. Did you have to go through a process of, with nonviolent communication, needs are so important. And did you go through a process of questioning your needs? Um, I have in my own life of, wow, are are these needs important? Um, Or am I too needy? is this need going to trump somebody else's need? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious of how you align. Yeah. Oh, there's so much healing that needs to be, even to engage. Yeah, I just so appreciate this question because it's a bigger question than we probably have the time to go into the nuances of right now. But just even to make clear requests requires that we know our needs as precious. And that we also know we are empowered to be wildly creative in the infinite ways that we could get those needs met. So we're not dependent on one person doing exactly what we want in order to meet our needs. That there are infinite possibilities for getting our needs met. That we're empowered to explore those possibilities. But at the heart of that is just first even knowing that our needs are precious. And for me, even knowing what my feelings and needs were was an intense private practice that I would do while driving or on hikes. I'd be having all these thoughts, all these thoughts about other people often, judgments, analyses, you know, anger rising, all that adrenaline. And I would just be like, okay, all right, what am I feeling right now? What am I needing right now? And just honestly... I mean, that process alone, I don't know how many months I was just kind of privately exploring. And that is the heart of what Sarah Payton is pointing to, is when we meet ourselves with that warmth and curiosity, not of telling ourselves we shouldn't be angry or we shouldn't have this adrenaline running through our body, but just saying, oh, what's underneath? What are you needing? When we meet ourselves in that way, we're literally changing our neurobiology. Mm -hmm. What's coming up for me, I, I just love what you just expressed. And what's coming up for me is I felt I did pretty well uh, the weeks leading up to Father's Day, which was yesterday. And I just put out my need to my son. I'm like, man, I just, I really have a need to to hear a nice long voice message from you, mm. you know, on Father's Day. He's living still in, in Netherlands and, and, um, and he was like, of course. And I woke up to not only like a four minute voicemail, but he made this beautiful digital card that had eight photos of us together and three pages of verbiage of expression to, to me, of his gratitude to me. And, and, it, and it felt good to know like that was a, that's a strong need mm-hmm. that I have. I, I have need around appreciation, not of validation, I just have a need to experience the warmth of appreciation. If we're, if we are going to be in dialogue with each other, why not the fuck spend it in appreciation? And that's my need. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so to be able to to make that request and it and it being 
met with such a yes from him. Yeah. So that came up for me. Oh, mm-hmm. I just have the biggest smile <laughs> on my face and I have chills all over my yeah. body and just wanting to ce- celebrate the gift that you gave him mm-hmm. by sharing how he could make your life more wonderful. Yeah. Like, wow, I'm just, yeah. yeah. I'll show it to you afterwards. Oh, too. <laughs> I'd love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It, you're right. It's it's such a beautiful way to get in touch with um, our humanness. Humans, we have these needs to be met, and not the just individual needs, but this uh, connection needs to be met. And we don't know how to express it so well. Most people, mm-hmm. uh, it comes across with should or some passive aggressive sometimes, or we, I know that in my past, what I've done, I've waited and waited and waited. So when I finally express my need, it sure comes out with a lot of energy instead mm-hmm. of an invitation. So this is a huge part that I'm glad that we're talking about. Um, so people get an understanding of this is a, a wonderful way for repair, a wonderful way to build trust, a wonderful way to know ourselves and to continually be in, in uh, a connective dance with people that we want to be with. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the, the quote that's coming to mind is one of Marshall Rosenberg, the person who sort of synthesized nonviolent communication. And um, it's one that my mentor often repeats, which is, when we live in a world of needs, we live in a different world. Hmm. It's a world I want to live in, Mm. yeah. Because I think that if we don't express it, if we don't get it, there's such an underlying energy of resentment that is so detrimental and harmful and painful. Yeah, 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 I've been there. Oof, Mm. that's, to say yes to things that I'm not actually a yes to and then resent the people I love because I said yes to something, or maybe they didn't even ask, but I just thought, you know, that I should X, Y, Z. Wow. Yeah. That doesn't serve trust or intimacy at all. Yeah. And like you said before, journeying on what is a yes to ourselves, to be able to take that time and really know, you know, what kind of breakfast is a yes for me? What is a a, a wonderful day uh, on a weekend or even a work day? Like how... How do I want to walk in the world with more yeses? And I know it's really challenging people's everyday life because there's some obligation that people are going, but I think we have to really gauge how much are we going towards obligation and how much are we creating more yeses in our moment-to-moment life? Because I do think it is very obtainable and, and you're a great example of that too. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge I've changed my life dramatically in order to live that way. You know, I have redirected my energy in really dramatic ways that, you know, we won't get into right now um, in order to live this way. And I just want to acknowledge the, yeah, we're just, we're living in a really challenging time in history. And so I just want to support people as much as I can with making 
the transition to living more fully in their yes, to acknowledging that that can be a pretty challenging pathway, but it's so worth it. And it's what I want for everyone. <laughs> I can feel that from you. <laughs> and that's what you're that's what you're doing right now with uh, aspects of a vocation that you and Eric are wanting to work with couples in that way. Is that true? Yeah, we've been so we've been doing a few different things and it's all emerged very naturally and it just feels so good. I'm such a big yes. So we just keep following that pathway. Um, but yeah, we've had uh, a number of different couples approach us for support in their own relationships. And that has just felt like such an alive way to spend our time to be able to contribute in that way. So we're doing that. Um, we're starting to share that more widely with the world being able to support people in that way. And then we're also facilitating group spaces that support connection and authenticity. So we're facilitating a few different spaces here at Earth Haven Eco Village. Um, you call it the Connection Cafe? Connection Cafe. I love it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we have a weekly space and there's a couple other spaces that we're kind of co-creating right now. And I just have so much trust in what grows from this field of connection. You know, when we're really in that place of tending to ourselves and one another with warmth and curiosity and honoring our needs, I just see so much magic emerge from that space. So I'm dedicating all of my time and energy toward that which I love. Hmm. Well, I, for one, am so glad that you're out there, that you're doing it, and that you only live about a 15-minute walk <laughs> from here. So, And I really look forward to many more personal conversations with you and be part of your support team mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. I, mm -hmm. I would love, if you're open, uh, I have a need to uh, create that also with you, if you're open on my Aww. end. Yeah. I'm just receiving that invitation and request with like, yeah, so mm. much warmth in my heart right now. I've got chills again. And yeah, I feel so much the same way. It's been such a gift to get to know you and Prepo and- Me and Rainbow. Oh, Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> People always do that. I love it. They call me, it's a great compliment when they call me Rainbow. I, it's like, I would love to embody her. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a real gift. And yeah. yeah, I'm glad to spend this time together getting mm. to know each other more in this way and then yeah. all these other ways that we get to know each other. And if you're up for it, I would love for you to come on the podcast many more times because there's wonderful, juicy topics we can talk about. I'd love that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Suku. Mm, thank you. So I want to tell you about uh, four basic components of nonviolent communication, and that is observation, observing uh, without evaluation, just noticing the concrete things around you, feeling when you notice things around you, um, what do you experience in, in your emotions or physical sensations, and needs. All individuals have needs and values that sustain and enrich our lives, so we need to identify that. And the fourth component is a request, to make clear and present requests. That's very crucial in nonviolent communication. So 
you can write down these four sentences, very basic sentences. When I see that blank, you can fill that in. I feel blank because my need for blank is not met. Would you be willing to blank? So four sentences. When I see that blank, I feel blank because my need for blank is not met. Would you be willing to? So example, when I observe that you came late three nights in a row, I feel sad, I feel frustrated because my need for connection and communication is not being met. Would you be willing to come home earlier or set up times that we can connect? So there you go. I want you to practice those four components, right? Observation, feeling, the need, and request. Okay, everybody. Good luck on those. And don't make it more complicated than those. Just four sentences. You don't have to give a big story around it. Okay. Hope you make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships. Let's talk about it. Is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Thank you.